0: Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I intend to hit three sections of scripture. I hope I will make it through. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to look at verse 9. The scripture says, God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful through whom you were called, into fellowship with his Son. You know, I, I travel a lot, and sometimes people ask, ask me questions like, how can I find out my calling? Well, this scripture says, your calling <laughs> is to fellowship with the Son. Well, no, but what's my calling? You're called to fellowship with the son. Yeah, but am I supposed to do this, or am I supposed to do, to do that? Well, if you'll recognize that your calling is to fellowship with Jesus, then there you'll find everything that you need. Look up at verse 4. He says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given you in Christ Jesus. Did you hear that? Grace given to you in Christ Jesus. Jesus. I need grace so bad. Anybody else need grace really bad? And when I say that, I don't just mean the wonderful, unmerited favor. Praise God for that. That God's favor, his pleasure, it rests upon you, and it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with what Jesus has done. That's grace. But there's a, a, a secondary understanding of grace in the Scriptures. Paul says this incredible statement. He goes, I, I worked harder than all of them, not me but the grace in me this is it's not the unmerited favor worked in me it's grace as divine power divine power from God and when I was in Bible college Dr. Bob Phillips taught us in Philippians chapter two verse thirteen you have the greatest and clearest explaining of what grace is God works in you both to will and to do that's grace. I need grace because without grace, all of those things that are bridal are elusive. Love for Jesus comes from grace. Power to live holy comes from grace. Grace works in you both to will and to do. What that means, as John Wesley says, is God works religion internally and externally. Now, when when he says religion, he's old, old time. So what he means by religion is devotion to God. He doesn't mean what we say today when you say, oh, they're religious. You know, that didn't even exist back then. (laughs) So religion, when he says that, God works it in you and out of you. God does it. Praise God. And so we see this here. He says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which is given to you in Christ Jesus, that in everything, everything, you were enriched in him. Praise God. In all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, grace confirms Christ in you. Praise God. That moves my heart. So that you are not lacking in any gift. Grace grants gifts grants. Grace grants unto us this confirmation on the inside. It enriches us in every way, even into speech. And, in, and your knowing, your knowledge of God comes from grace. <laughs> My goodness, it moves me so much because it is all God from start to finish. Arthur Burt said, if God only does half the work, he's only worthy of half the glory. In other words, God's got to work religion in and out. God has got to work in me both to will and to do. Not only to want to, but then be able to do the thing that I want to. God's got to do it all. And that's called grace. Praise God for grace. The Holy Spirit is called the spirit of grace. (laughs) Grace is life supply for us. But, uh, you say, but Eric, you were talking about fellowship. Well, keep reading, and it says this. Uh, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of the Lord. Did you see that even the expectation of the return of the Lord comes from grace? It's grace that does this in us. It's 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 not anything you can conjure up. We can't just say, you know, I just believe the Lord is coming, I believe the Lord is coming. It's grace that it makes it real and vibrate, It makes it like... It removes it out of the category of Santa Claus and moves it into reality. And so here, it says here, awaiting eagerly the revelation of the Lord Jesus, who will also confirm you to the end. How does he confirm you to the end? It's by grace, praise God. Grace, praise God. The scripture says that if if salvation is rendered to you because of the law, then you're just getting wages. In other words, you worked for it, you get it. But if it's by faith, then it's by grace, and therefore it's according to promise. It's all God's. So he says here next, he would confirm you to the end, blameless to the day of our Lord Jesus. Now here's here's the verse we started with, God is faithful. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son. What am I trying to talk about? I'm talking about grace and fellowship. They're married. Fellowship is the means of grace. Grace is unlimitedly available for you, but it has a fixed distribution center and it's called fellowship. So that grace cannot be removed from the man. So that grace is not something worshiped in and of itself. It's the experience of this person. You've all heard this grace defined as God's riches at Christ's expense. But I like God's riches as Christ experienced. (laughs) Because the more I experience Jesus... The more grace flows into me. And the more grace flows into me, the more I recognize the return of the Lord, the more I'm confirmed, the more He works in me to be blameless, the more that He works inside of me to be enriched in everything, the more that He works in me both to will and to do for His good pleasure. It's the more that He works inside of me so that in everything I'm enriched in speech and my knowledge is quickened by God, grace by fellowship. Say, Eric, what do you, what do you want to, hammer tonight I want to hammer that guys this is wonderful tonight I would come here pretty much every night of my life if we did this every night I'd commit to come it was wonderful but tonight is though it's great if you don't have fellowship you'll fall off If, if you don't have fellow you see these public touches are to draw you to private kisses if you, if you have a whole bunch of public touches and no private kisses, you don't know the Lord. God is known by fellowship. Praise God. That moves the heart. Doesn't it cause you to, to just kind of say, oh Lord, all I want to do is recognize your presence. You know what the gospel does? It removes all the obstacles to recognizing God's presence. That's what it does. <laughs> takes each one of them and takes them out of the way so that you can recognize God is here. A.W. Tozer said, uh, the Christian says God is there, but the spiritual deep person or the person who knows the Lord, the one who knows God says God is here. There's a difference between just knowing that God is and then knowing that God is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him by giving you the reward, which is, according to his speaking to Abraham, is himself. I'll reward you for seeking me, and it's me. <laughs> Praise God. Let me, let me just kind of, let's, let's talk about this, what this means, like really vulnerably. Can I talk to you vulnerably? Like open, what else is there? You know what I mean? Why put up something that's not real and then try to fool everybody? But the reality is is this, each one of us are so deeply in need of grace that without fellowship, you begin to see grace waning in your life. What does that look like? Well, your lack of desire for the scriptures, your lack of desire for worship, your lack of desire to, let me just put it in the words of Andrew Bonar, who writes in his journal, I dragged my feet to feed the poor today. This shows me the corruption of my heart. <laughs> Can you believe that? And no, he, he didn't say I skipped feeding the poor. He said, I still went, but I dragged my feet in doing it. This shows me my heart is corrupt. <laughs> That's a kind of inward sight that draws you to complete and total dependency on God. You say, Lord, oh, I need you so bad. And so I, I was reading the other day the scriptures and I felt like the Lord said, let's talk. I need to talk to you. So I'm like, Lord, what, you know, I just open my heart, Lord, anything, anything, whatever, you just tell me, I'll, I'll do it. And I felt like the Lord showed me that I had great levels of ingratitude in my life. And then from there, he showed me that that was bringing about lack of tenderness, And then from there, he showed me that there were other longings in my heart. He he showed me that there are high thoughts of myself. He showed me how many times I've been complaining. He showed me that I had lack of desire in certain areas. He showed me that I had areas of anxiety in my heart. And he said, all of these things that I'm showing to you, I'm showing you this so that you can see the corruption of your heart. Not just so that you know there's dirt there, but so he can present himself and say, you have a need. I'm here. You have anxiety. That's the corruption of your heart. That shows you, he shows you this so that you can see that he is the one that can fix that. He shows you your diseases so you'll see him as physician. He wants to be physician. He didn't come for the healthy, he came for the sick. So he wants to show you the areas that need help so that he can be that help for you. That's how we come to know the Lord. So sometimes we run away from seeing. Dark parts of our heart, we run away from seeing the light shine on the inside. You see motives and intentions. And we're like, oh, don't show me that. No, 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 show it. (laughs) Because that shows me an area I can throw myself on you and I get to know you even better. Praise God. He gives grace to those who are humble enough to say, Lord, I need you so bad. You know what humility really is? Humility is recognizing the greatness of God. That's really all it is. Because when you see the greatness of God, there's only one response. It's falling down on your face and saying, I'm nothing compared to you. So I I began to see these things in my heart and I felt like the Lord was showing me and wanting me even to encourage all of us tonight. As Madame Guyon wrote so beautifully in her spiritual classic, Short and Easy Method of Prayer, she writes, be not ashamed to show him your wounds expose them to his view and you shall be healed. I was talking with uh, Solomon today and we were talking about this woman that I met on one of my trips and I asked her at dinner, I said, what's the Lord been saying to you? And she talks about the man with the withered hand and how the man with the withered hand inside the temple, Jesus in front of everybody, tells the guy to stretch out his withered hand. And then when he does, he's completely, completely healed. And the woman told me, she said, God spoke to her and said, show me your weaknesses so that I can heal them. In other words, if you don't expose your weaknesses to the Lord, you you won't be healed. But if you'll expose your weakness to his view, he can come in and heal you. Praise God. Isn't that glorious? So we look, I, I, I would reach to you guys as I reach to myself and say, look for all your weaknesses. Try to find them all because by them, they qualify you to come to Jesus. One of my friends likes to say it like this, the things about you that make you cringe most makes him hug tightest. You don't climb into God, you collapse into God. Praise God. I love it that it's that way, because nobody can get the credit but him. Praise God. I I I read this quote the other day. uh, Saint Moses of Egypt. He said this: "You fast, but the devil never eats. You work hard, but the devil never sleeps. The only way for you to outwork the devil is humility, because he has none." (laughs) (laughs) So you say, Eric, what is he? What are you? What are you trying to do? What are you trying to talk? I'm talking about grace. I'm talking about fellowship. And fellowship is the expression of humility. I need you so bad, God. Some people go into the closet and they leave the same way they came in because they did everything but actually adore the Lord. The reason why they didn't adore the, adore the Lord is because adoring the Lord means you got to look at him. You can't just look in his direction. You got to look at him. But looking at him requires vulnerability and Honesty. So therefore, nobody wants to, well, I say nobody. People don't want to look eyeball to eyeball with the Lord because it means they've got to be honest about their condition. And so because they skip that and do all the practices, they replace the person with practices, and they wonder why they're never changed. But if we'll be honest and vulnerable and look into his eyes and say, yes, Lord, show me all the weaknesses so I can use them to get to you, then when those eyes meet, heaven has begun upon the earth. When those eyes meet, that's when that vulnerability has brought you to that place where God can truly be everything. And in this chapter, 1 Corinthians nine, we we're seeing grace. We're seeing fellowship. Fellowship based upon God's faithfulness. Did you hear that? <laughs> the fellowship you have with God is not based on you. Thank God for that. You want to know why that's so freeing? It's because if you could see the standard required to fellowship with God, you'd do one of two things. One, you'd quit because you'd realize there's no way you're ever going to do it. Or you would lower the standard, fulfill it, and then become proud. So God is faithful, meaning he saves you from both sides of the road. The side that says, I'll never be worthy. And the other side that says, I'm good enough. He saves you from both sides by saying, I'm the faithful one in the relationship. And not only am I the faithful one in the relationship, I'm the only reason why you're able to have fellowship with me. I did this for you. If we think that we can go in and experience God based upon our consistency, you're still not banking on Christ. If we think that our personal history with God is the reason why we have fellowship and deep experiences of him, you're still taking Christ's place. Jesus is the only reason and will always be the single only reason why we are accepted by God. And when we swallow that pill, it's like helium in the tummy and you start floating in life. (laughs) Praise God. So God is faithful. It's important that we see this because it saves us. He invites us. Our acceptance, our communion is based on his faithfulness, which means your fellowship with God is one of the manifestations of his charms, one of the wonders of his goodness. One of the ways that he shows forth his wonderful character to you is that he says, come on in. You can come in. For me, I, I like to look at coming to God as uh, like a two-year-old comes to, to their father. You know, if you've ever had kids or you ever babysit kids, you see, like two-year-olds, they're just really funny because they have the absence of self-consciousness. Their hair could be everywhere, food's on their face, they have no idea because they're just, they don't have self-consciousness. And you see like a child that comes in to his father, the, the messy hair and Food on the clothes and maybe holding a blankie and they're just maybe with a password. There they are. No, just, just, I'm here to see dad. Very simple. And what does it do to the dad's heart? It wins him every time. I mean, imagine like, even like a businessman dad, you know, and he's there and he's talking to somebody about some like cool business and then there's a tug and it's, he looks down, he melt, he's melted. And he picks up his two-year-old. You know, some people go in to to go be with God and they're wearing their like chemistry coat, Lord, let's, let me figure you out. <laughs> and the Lord's like, please leave. <laughs> Somebody comes in with their business coat, their business jacket, they're, they're suited up and they come in, Lord, let's make a deal. The Lord says, no, 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 I don't, have, I don't have fellowship with that. Other people come in there and they're, hi, am I? They got their prophet's gown on. I am a prophet of the Lord. I've come <laughs> in to be with you, God. The Lord says, Please, I don't have fellowship with those people. But then the, the child comes in, the two year old, and he looks and he says, Come on in. I feel like the Lord would say to you, and he says to me, he just recently said this to me again. He says to me, There's lack of tenderness in your heart. And he's smiling about it because he knows that by it, he can come and be something for me that he wasn't before. So he says, there's lack of tenderness in your heart. Can you see it? Yes. Let me be that for you. Let me be that for you. What a Christ. What a good God. Does he not steal your heart and run away to heaven with it? (laughs) Does does he not melt away your ability to resist him? As Ruth Paxson perfectly wrote in her classic, um, Life on the Highest Plane,' she said, he conquers your will by melting your heart. Praise God. There's nobody like him. So sweet, so tender, so patient. Are you, are you not, if you look at your life, are you not embarrassed at how patient God's been with you? <laughs> if you're not embarrassed of God's patience with you, I ask the Lord to shine a light on how badly you need him in your life. <laughs> His patience is actually embarrassing. This is our calling. Did you notice this? Your calling is what? Fellowship. Eric, what am I supposed to do? Fellowship with the Lord. What does that mean? Be honest, be vulnerable, be open, come to him. And as you come to him there, you will fellowship with him and you will receive grace. And why do you need grace? It's everything. It's God's working in you, both to will and to do. Praise God. But it's important to recognize this is our calling because our primary calling is not to win souls. Our primary calling isn't even to live holy. Our primary calling isn't even to love people. Those are all streams that flow from the fountain of communion with God. And sometimes we're wondering why the channels are dry when it comes to loving people or why the channels are dry when it comes to wanting to win the lost or even to want to live holy. Why are those channels dry? Well, because the fountain has been neglected. But when the fountain flows, all the channels are filled. God does it. He works in us both to will and to do. And it also saves us from searching and wondering and guessing, what is my purpose on the planet? Your purpose is fellowship with God. What if we all freshly made a, a decision to live every day as if that day was given to you for the purpose of just fellowshipping with God. I'm not saying you quit your job and you do nothing but sit in your room with your Bible open. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, let it be the center and source of your entire day. Not only does that mean that you go to him first to be with him for whatever amount of time that your schedule allows you, but that you sing with him throughout the day. And you enjoy him all day long. And then whenever you have spare seconds, as Finn alone wrote, he said, give every spare second to God. You just start giving time to God. I'm not saying you can't play golf. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that there is a root on the inside that says, I live to fellowship with you. That's the reason why I'm alive. That's the reason why I breathe today, is to fellowship with you. There's a quote from George Mueller. He says, I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul made happy in God. My soul made happy in God. A.W. Tozer wrote, is there anything more important, can you think of anything more important, he says, than sitting in silence before God every day? Can you think of anything more? I mean, let's just think about it for a second. Is there anything more important in a day than just taking time to sit before the Lord with full attention on Him. I feel like what God is saying to us tonight and what he wants to challenge us with and call us to is grace experienced, grace received through fellowship, fellowship being our calling. This is the reason why we're alive. And if we miss it here, There's no wonder why the church looks the way it does. The church is a mess to the degree she doesn't fellowship with the Lord. It is fellowship with the Lord that actually keeps everything in its right place. For instance, if I had a button down shirt, if I don't get that first button right, no matter how good the other buttons are buttoned, they're all off. So it is with prayer and so it is with relationship with Jesus. I, I need to get that first button right so that everything else fits where it's supposed to get. If that first button is off, again, it doesn't matter how tightly you do the rest. They're wrong. Or let's say it like this, Um, fellowship with Christ is the string upon which all the pearls of his graces are placed. And if that fellowship string break, all the graces scatter. Does that make sense? Is that good imagery for you? That moves my heart because I want to keep that string connected so that all the graces can stay where they're supposed to stay. Because if I break fellowship with the Lord, what happens is I begin to see things just get scattered all over. How many of you have ever felt just completely scattered? And then you sit with the Lord, literally in one second, everything is different. It's almost as if you were completely pulled together in every way. Everything in its right place. There's an old church uh, motto, I think it might be Latin, it's sersum it's corda. You might have heard this before. Sersum corda, it means up with your hearts. Some churches have it written up here, sersum corda, up with your hearts. It's early church understanding, but it's, it's give God your heart. Let him have your heart. And there, that's the beginning and, and the source of, of all of this. God is faithful. It's based upon him. He's called you. This is your calling into fellowship with his son. Grace is given there by fellowship with him. Uh, one more thing, and then um, we'll just kind of shift gears. But listen to this. In the book of John, 1 John Chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, there's an incredible statement that shows us why the gospel is even preached. And some people look past this, but I feel like it really needs to be understood again. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Don't get lost in the language there. What's he saying? He's saying, we saw him. John walked with Jesus. We saw him. I touched him with my hands, he's saying. I heard his voice. It's like I was with him. Physically, I was with him. This is what John is saying. Then he says, uh, and the life was manifested. We have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested to us. What's he saying? He's saying that Jesus Christ was with the Father forever, came down here, I touched him, I saw him, and I'm telling you about him that I knew. This is very simple to understand, but the language gets kind of weird. Then he says this, what we have seen and what we have heard, we proclaim to you. In other words, I touched him, I saw him, and this is what he was saying, this is what he was like. La- I'm going to tell you that, and there's this miracle mystery that happens, that if I tell you, what he's like and what he taught, you too may have fellowship with us. That's crazy. In other words, I didn't see Jesus face to face. I never touched his physical body. John did. John is saying, when I preach the gospel to you of Jesus Christ, if you put your faith in that gospel, you pass into a knowing of him like I have. You say, Eric, but, but you don't, I don't see Jesus physically. No, 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 it's something even deeper than physical. Remember when Jesus says this? He says, it's better for you that I leave this body. I leave. It's better for you that I go away. Why? Because if I don't go, the Spirit I'm not going to come. Yes. It's to your advantage that I go. Why? Because I want to live on the inside of you. I can't think of anything more better than seeing Jesus stand right here physically on the platform. We would all fall on our faces, right? That would be pretty amazing. But yet he would stand here in his physical form and look at you and say, there's something better. It's called the Holy Spirit. I want him inside you. That way he's with everybody internally all the time. Praise God. He lives in the kitchen of your soul, the Holy Ghost. That's what Jesus is saying. You say, what what does that have to do with, with what he says? Look at this. So what we have seen, what we heard, we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and... Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write to you so that our joy may be full. There is a joy in fellowship with Jesus that is unmatched to the world. I'll just pull a couple of quotes for you. A.W. Tozer writes this, the continuous, unembarrassed interchange of love and thought between God and the souls of redeemed men and women is the throbbing heart of the new covenant. That exchange of experiencing him, that's the throbbing heart. Where's he getting that from? John just said, I preached the gospel to you for this reason, so that you too may have fellowship with us. He's writing this letter so that they would fall in love with, walk with, touch, taste, smell, spiritually experience this man, Christ Jesus, by the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying. We see uh, Simeon, the new theologian, writing years back. He says, it will be, your soul will be so touched with delight that it will no longer want to leave that place of the heart. In other words, him living in your heart, when you're aware of his presence, you become so blissfully delighted by the sweetness of his internal residence that you don't want to leave that part of your heart anymore. You just want to have that all the time. Here's another one from Jonathan Edwards. He says, the enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. There is no satisfaction apart from Christ. And that satisfaction in Christ is found in fellowship. And that fellowship is for the humble who will sit with him. Can you bring me my water? think it's right over there (coughs) um this fellowship is bliss and life john owen once wrote this he said if christ is not heaven to you now he will not be hereafter." i think about the statement that he's saying he's saying you're tasting the world to come by the holy spirit and that holy spirit is the fellowship that you have with jesus and that's the means of grace by which you grow. I've I've been traveling now for just about 13 years. And I go all over to different churches all the time. And I'm in different places. And I see different kinds of people and different kinds of worship and stuff. And I'm telling you right now that the people that have fellowship with God, they look different. Yeah. There's just something about them. They There's people that... May move in giftings. There's people that may have uh, ch- charisma. There's people that may even be like have a lot of pull or influence. But the ones that walk in fellowship with God, there's this mark about them. They have a fragrance of humility and preferring other people, and they're kind and they're full of love. And they—it's almost like their faces glow. You know, the, scripture says that, the scripture says that he gives men wine to drink to make their hearts glad so that their faces glisten with oil. What is that talking about? The Holy Spirit, as St. Augustine said, if one drop of the joy of the spirit went into hell, it would, hell would be ended forever. The, the Holy Spirit, he drops wine into your heart and it makes it super happy. And your face glows. I'm telling you, every wife in this room needs a husband whose face glows. And every husband in this room needs a wife whose face glows, whose heart is joyful because they've been made happy in God, to use George Mueller's words. They've been satisfied by the sweetness of his spirit. John Piper nailed it on the head when he said, sin is what we do when we're not satisfied with God. he also says another statement, he says it all the time, but it's just wonderful to hear. He says, God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. Did you hear that? That actually changes everything if that statement is true. And we know it to be true because Jesus prays this out, that, as, that we would see him as he is and be satisfied with his love and that this would bring glory to the father in John 17. So we're seeing that when we are satisfied with God through fellowship, He's most glorified there. I feel like the restoration of God and man finding their pleasure in each other, that's what the reconciliation is all about. If we miss fellowship, then we miss exactly what John is talking about. He says the words, so that... That's very important to see that. So that. This is the reason. He's showing motive. He's showing intention. This is why I write. This is why I preach, he's saying. This is why I'm telling you this. This is why the gospel comes. This is why we preach the gospel. So that men might be drawn into the sweet honeycomb, which is Christ. And taste and see that the Lord is good that they might there find the sparkling beauties of his excellencies and realize the realities of the world to come even here by the gospel, by the touch and taste of the spirit. Praise God. I I I sometimes see Jesus and he holds up this glittering sword and, and it shines and it's like a call for everyone who will to come to him. And, and there's something about this sword that just pulls many. To me, it's like his rule and his word. And he, he longs for those to come and, and eat at the table of the Lord that opens by the opening of the book. You know that famous quote from, uh, from I forget who it is, but he says, uh, pa- uh, books are like parachutes. They're only useful if they're open. And, and so it is with the scriptures. It's the, the scriptures. He calls you to open up this word and see his excellencies and his glories and, and realize him. As an old man of God told me one time, the Bible is the only book that demands the author be present when it's read. So we come, we come to him and we 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 sit with him and we we enjoy, we eat of him. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said this one time, I thought this was outstanding. He said reading is gathering the corn, but meditation's eating it. So we've got to enter into this communion with the Lord that is by meditation. Uh, What is meditation? It's got a bad connotation today, but really all it is is just looking at the word and, and chewing it up, thinking it through. What does this mean? Why is this written? Speak to me, Lord. Open my eyes. In your light, I see light. The unfolding of your words gives me light. Lord, grant to me sight. Even as David says, he says, Open my eyes to see the wonderful things in your word. Yeah. There's just this, this reality of the man Christ Jesus that is seen right here in the scriptures. Yeah, it's I feel like a lot of bad theology and a lot of depression comes from a dusty Bible. And it's not, like I said, it's not just black and white going in your eyes. It's the author breaking it and feeding it to you by being with him in his presence and enjoying that sweet Fellowship with Him, even as I was saying earlier, He called you to this—to fellowship with Him. And even as I am pointing to right here in First John, this is the reason why the gospel comes to you, so that you could have fellowship and great joy, great joy in fellowship. You know, I wrote this down from um, I was I was reading uh, what's her name, uh, Feligno, Angela Feligno. It says that she forgot. Often she forgot to eat because she felt God so vividly and found such delight in communion with him. She would just be raptured, just taken with him, enjoying his presence, and all day went by, and she didn't even eat. <laughs> How many of you have had that happen before? It's a, it's a different kind of fast. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fast of preoccupation. I'm preoccupied, Lord, with you. Yeah. I often read David, and he makes me laugh. When I read David, because he says crazy statements like this, Lord, they seek my life, but I love your word. (laughs) He's like, Lord, I face these enemies on the hill with spears and they want to bite me to death or whatever poetic language he uses. And then he turns and then he's like, but I trust in your trust in your love. (laughs) I mean, you think about this. This will be the last thing I say. Think about this for a second. Have you ever read Psalm 23 and like let it be a picture to you? Yeah. I mean, think about this for a second. <laughs> he prepares a table in the presence of my enemies. I mean, when David has enemies, remember in the Old Testament, they're ruthless, man. They're cutting their hands and your feet up and then posting your body up in the, in the city for everybody to see you. I mean, when you conquer a king, you cut his head off, his arms and his legs, and then you you drag his body through the city so everybody knows. I mean, this is crazy. I mean, Jehu cuts off all the heads of Ahab's sons and he piles them up on the city to stand in front of them and make his prophecy. The backdrop of his prophecy is heads. (laughs) The Bible's crazy, man. It's definitely rated R. So you have this, you have this kind of mentality. So when David says he has enemies, they have physical swords, physical, probably spears, all kinds, they can kill him. His life is in danger. He's probably surrounded. He looks around and he is like, oh Lord, what are we going to do? And Jesus is taking a, a, a blanket and he's laying down a picnic. <laughs> and you're like, look, you're like, Lord, seriously, right now, it's not the time. We need you. I need you to blow and have all these guys go away. Just do something and get rid of these guys. And Jesus is like, do you want a Coke or you want uh, bread? (laughs) What is it that you? We're going to we're going to (laughs) eat. Which which shows me something, no matter what's coming against you, there's one thing on Jesus's mind. Will you eat with me? Oh, you don't, know my, you don't know my bank account right now, Lord. I mean, think about my bank account. He's like, will you eat with me? Lord, I need this job really bad. He says, but will you eat with me? Lord, something's going on with my wife. Something's going on with my husband. Will you eat with me? Can you believe what he did to me? This guy kicked me to the curb. This guy's a manipulator. Will you eat with me? This is what's on Jesus' mind. Will you or will you not eat with me? That's what he's after. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, so I hope this is good. Let me just recap if I can. Really, it's about grace. <laughs> Praise God. It's about <laughs> grace. Grace that empowers you both to will and to do. That covers it all. Because a lot of people do, but they don't want to. That's called feigned obedience in the scriptures. This does not, ha- this does not make God happy. God is not just trying to get one plus one equals two. If you obey, then I will do. He wants a heart that's completely his a heart that obeys because it desires to obey. Jesus tells us that obedience is a proof of love only because obedience is the fruit of love. When you love him, you put yourself aside and you, and you desire him. You know, if I can't lay my life down for my wife, how could I say that I've truly married her? you know what I'm saying? The scripture says that the husband should lay down his life for his wife. That's just plain understanding, according to the Bible, of what marriage is. And then it says, this is, what I'm speaking about is really a mystery, but it's, I'm talking about Christ and the church who loved her and gave himself up for her. He laid his life down for her. In other words, we see that love is most purely seen in the laying down of your own will for another. So that means this, next time you wanna do something that you know God doesn't want you to do, ask yourself, do I love him? Because that's when you see if you really love him. See, we we all love, I love dancing in the presence. I love lifting my hands. I love the bliss and glory of these, of meetings. Like, I love it. But what it really comes down to is when what I want is contrary to what he wants. Do I love him or do I not? That's what makes a man of God. That turns the Capri Sun into a bottle of aged wine. Why? Because obedience causes you to mature and grow, and it causes you to to gain spiritual potency. It, it makes you godly. Can I say one last story when we're done? I promise one last story. I promise. There's a story of a there's a story of a Catholic girl, and she's in Sunday school, and she's staring up at the stained glass window with Saint Francis on it, with a bird on her shoulder, bird on his shoulder, or something. You know, Saint Francis always had animals coming through. And she's staring up at the stained glass window and the Sunday school teacher says, does anybody know what a saint is? And all the kids are looking at each other like, I don't, I don't know what a saint is. And then the little girl raises her hand and she goes, ooh. ooh, ooh. And the Sunday school teacher says, yes, what is a saint? And she goes, they're the ones that the sun shines through, staring up at the stained glass window of St. Francis. <laughs> what does that mean? What is she saying? This is godliness when God is seen in a man because the obstructions are removed. That's what he's after, to get out. As St. As Teresa of Avila said, he put a spear in me to take a piece of me out. He kept thr- thrusting a spear into her heart. And every time he thrust a spear in her heart, she would, he'd pull the spear out and he'd listen to this. He was taking pieces of me out, she says, to make me empty enough to love him. <sighs> My God. So let's pray. What do you say? I didn't recap very well. Father, thank you. <laughs> Thank you for grace. Just put your hand on your heart with me. Just say, God, thank you for grace. <laughs> it takes all the pressure off me. And it puts it all on Jesus. And He can handle it. Because He holds the world up by His own power. And His legs are pillars. Praise God. Thank you. <laughs> Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. I'm just going to pray for you. Father, thank you for every person here that heard the word tonight. Lord, let it be that we have a fresh understanding of what grace really is. And Lord, I pray that fellowship would go to a whole new place in everybody's lives, Lord. That everybody here would leave here and have drawings and calling, callings to get alone with you. Lord, I pray that they would feel the wooing, the wooing of the Spirit, Lord. They'd look less for wowings and start looking for wooings. Lord, that they just go and experience the sweetness of your presence. Lord, they lay their head on your chest and gain access to the divine treasure chest. Lord, I pray for this reality of the honeycomb of heaven, the sweetness of your presence. Lord, oh, the scripture says, how great is the sweetness you have stored up for those who fear you. Lord, I thank you for that. That sweetness that is thats is constantly available for our use and our enjoyment, which is your person. We worship and we praise you. And I'm asking that a switch shifts today. Even if they don't feel anything like specifically happen, something changes in the mind and in the will and in the emotions. And they say, I will love you, and I will lay my life down at your feet because you are worthy. You are worthy in your precious name. Amen. Man, you know know the scripture they opened up with tonight? It was on my my list to to go through about the blood of Jesus opening a, a new and living way. I just preached on this back in, uh, in Orlando, and it was, I was looking at the fact that it says the blood of Jesus opens up the new and living way, which shows me that my value of communion shows me my value of the blood. If I don't take this new and living way to approach God, then it means I don't really care much about the blood because the blood makes the way possible. So really, however, I, however much I value the blood of Jesus, will be reflected in how much I pass through it into what it was spilt or poured out for, which is that I might enter into this new and living way to enjoy his presence every day. Praise God.